everyone. I'm Ricky with Everyday Woodworking, your podcast home for tips, tricks, and information on how to make the most of your woodworking time and money every day. Alrighty. Well, today, doing something a little different. Um, if you're a regular listener, then you know we have been in the middle of a setting up your small shop series. But today we're going to do a take or we're going to, we're going to do a take. We're going to take, shut up, Ricky. Today we're going to take a break from that. And I'm going to do a little listener Q and A. Uh, Also, you may know that we post new episodes every week. Uh, here on Everyday Woodworking. Well, last week we skipped a week, uh, just frankly, between Easter and our woodworking orders and family stuff. We just, ah, we just didn't have time to put it all together. So if you missed us last week, we missed you, but we're back. We're back. I'm not going to beat around the bush. Um, I really want to jump right into our questions, but a couple of things first. One, If you have questions you'd like for us to answer in an upcoming Q&A, then definitely send them along. Email them to me at ricky, that's R-I-C-K-Y, ricky at applevalleyfarmga.com. And really, guys, it's virtually anything Go. I mean, well, not in, not anything goes. You know, you know. I mean, I can answer things like, you know, what's my favorite color, but that would be silly. But woodworking type related questions, okay? Just whatever is on your mind, just let it rip, and uh, let's see what we can learn. Second thing uh, today, I am drinking my coffee from a cup that I've drank from before here. Uh, from our good friends at J. Moore Farms. That's J-A-E-M-O-R. J. Moore Farms. Uh, J. Moore has been our local destination for fresh fruits and vegetables, handmade products, and frankly, the most down-to-earth staff and service of any business we know of. No joke about it. Uh, plus, they are also one of only a handful of retailers that we trust to carry our handmade products from our woodworking business at Apple Valley Farm, uh, like our carpenter bee traps, for example. We've been dealing with Jay Moore Farms, Jay Moore Farms for years and years, um, both in their main original Alto, Georgia location, and uh, recently or more recently in the uh, the newer. Banks Crossing store. So if you haven't given those, given them a try yet, uh, you're definitely missing out. So if you're local, be sure to stop in. And if not, you can visit Jay Moore online at jmoorefarms.com. Thank you, Daphne, uh, and all our friends over at Jay Moore Farms. As always, thank you for hooking a brother up with our coffee cup. Mm very good. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. All 
Alrighty, with that, let's let's get this party started. Um, FYI, I am pulling questions from not only from email, um, but from podcast comments, social media pages, and from our YouTube channel. So this is really going to run the gamut of uh, of all kinds of stuff. Okay, let's kick things off with actually a guy that is a friend of ours, David Boardman. David's a great woodworker anyway. I don't, And I thought, when he sent me a question, I thought, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> I should be asking you questions. You know, I felt like, oh no, he's going to ask me something just to see how wrong, <laughs> how wrong I am. Because uh, David is David is a guy I go to uh, for for help all the time. So uh, anyway, but David's with a uh, Boardman Company Woodworks uh, on Facebook. You can find him at at Boardman Co Woodworks. Um, you should definitely look him up. His question is, uh, and here we go: House shoes or Crocs in the shop? Oh my gosh. Oh me. First, let me say we've we've got to establish whether or not David is trying to be funny here or if he's really serious. Okay. I assume he's trying to be funny, but let's just see how this plays out. Okay. Uh secondly though, we need to define house shoes. What is a house shoe? Um I think we all know. Crocs in the shop is just like an invitation for pain and suffering. Um, But I'm not really sure what house shoes technically means. In my mind, it's like any commonly worn style of comfortable shoe, like just a shoe you wear around the house. We call them bedroom shoes, okay? Um, Now, that could be one thing to one person and one thing to another, depending on what their definition of comfort is. Um, but when I Googled house shoe, this is this is what Google had to say. A house shoe is a general term for any footwear that's intended to be worn indoors, particularly at home. Now, while a slipper is a type of indoor or outdoor footwear, that you can easily slip on your feet. Remember that house shoes can be slippers, but not all slippers can be house shoes. Okay, so like um, uh, a croc would be technically a slipper, right? But I wouldn't say that's a house shoe. Okay, so this is getting a little crazy, but I think this is kind of narrowing down this definition of house shoe a little bit. To me, I'm going to just say this is, as I said before, this is what we call a bedroom shoe, which is what I'm wearing like right now. This is what rednecks wear. This is what redneck women wear to Walmart. Okay. There we go. I just said it. I can't believe I said, and I'm going to, I'm going to leave this. I'm not going to delete it either because you know, you know what I'm talking about. When you go into Walmart and you see people walking around in there with their pajama pants on and like these furry slippers on their feet, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, then I don't believe you. No, you're lying. You've seen it, especially if you've been to Walmart at like 
2 a.m. because that's when the freaks come out. You know, I bet it gets crazy in Walmart after about 1 a.m. They go, that's when the weirdos come out. Anyway, okay, I'm getting off on a tangent. But this is what the redneck women wear in Walmart. To me, that is a house shoe, okay? <laughs> and so good, going back to David's question, should we be wearing house shoes or Crocs in the shop? Okay, great question. <sighs> Obviously, David's not being serious here. Well, I don't know. He may be serious. It depends on how redneck David is, really, right? Because he may be wondering. He may be wondering. Okay, I would say the wisest choice would depend on the work you're doing at the moment, okay? Um, however, we should note that both Crocs and, or I should say neither Crocs nor bedroom shoes or house shoes, excuse me, are OSHA approved, okay? If you wear either one of them in the shop, frankly, you're playing with fire or something that is definitely not going to be very agreeable with your foot. But um, Crocs, let's just say, okay, Crocs, they have kind of a hard sole. That would seem to provide some better protection against things like nails and brads and screws and general sharp pointy stuff that might want to stab you in the bottom of your foot. Nevertheless, Crocs are also open-toed, um, or generally. Are they? No, they're not. Now, this kind of just jacking at my whole theory. They're not, but they're not exactly enclosed. They're, they have those holy, they're holy shoes, right? Not like Jesus shoes, but they're holy. Like, they have holes in them. Um, so while house shoes, though, they might not be very structurally protective, they do, they are generally completely enclosed. I don't know, you know, I was going to say if I had to pick, uh, again, it depends on the work that you're doing in there, but I would say in general, I was going to say house shoes would be a better choice in the shop than Crocs. But Crocs are semi-enclosed over the toe. So again, it's going to depend on the work you're doing, David. I'm still going to go with the house shoe, even though I think it would be crazy. But I would love to see some pictures of you in the shop with some, you know, maybe uh, Princess Anna house shoes on. Something pink, fuzzy, furry with a lot of glitter on it. That's what I would like to see. <laughs> All righty. Uh, our next question comes from our YouTube channel, and this is from a guy named Don Palm, like a palm tree. I have no idea where he's from, but in my mind, I envision that Don with a last name of Palm, surely must live like in Florida or California, right? Surely. I, I don't know, but that's that's what I envision. All right. Don's question is, said, I just bought a set of unfinished cornhole boards and someone told me to wet sand 
with the final sanding. What's your opinion on that? Okay. To me, let me just get this out of the way. When when I say wet sanding, to me, that's like what you do on a car when you're doing body work on a car. I don't wet sand wood, but I know what I know what you're talking about, okay? But the term wet sanding to me is reserved for let's just say body work, okay? Um, but this this is actually a good question. So, and if I understand, Don, if I understand what this person that told you to wet sand, the final sanding, what they probably mean is they're talking about what we call raising the grain. I don't know if you've heard that term before. It's an essential step for like most fine woodworking. It's not exactly what you would call wet sanding, where you're like letting water continuously run over the area that you're sanding. Uh, but it does involve using some water. So with my really limited experience with body work, we would, when we would do wet sanding, we would have water running over that surface the entire time as we're sanding. And, and what I assume the water is doing is it's washing away the finest of grit so that you're getting the best, smoothest, finish possible. Obviously, you don't want to be doing that with a piece of wood. But when you raise the grain on a piece of wood, what it does is it causes the surface wood fibers to swell when they get wet. And that pulls the texture up so you can like feel that imperfection there. You can feel those little ridges and then you can sand those off. If you don't do this, then what happens is the moisture in the stain or the paint or whatever you put on for your finish, that moisture is going to raise the grain. And then you're going to be left with a less than perfect feeling surface. And no matter how much poly you put on it, it's never going to feel quite right. So you you need to be in the habit of raising the grain. So if you decide to do this, this is this is what I would suggest. For me, I would sand the board down to at least a 150 um, or maybe even a 220 dry. Uh, then blow it clean, or if you don't have if you don't have an air hose, um, you know, wipe it really well with a clean shop cloth, t-shirt, something like that. Something uh, a t-shirt is is a good choice because you want it to be as lint-free as possible. Then get a spray bottle with just plain water and and spray it. It doesn't take a lot. Uh, you don't need to soak it, but you know you do need to you know get some water on it. Uh, let it sit for a few minutes, and this will start those wood fibers swelling, and it'll raise the grain. Let it sit for a few minutes, and it will dry, and those fibers will continue to be raised. And then you'll just sand it back down with the 220. And then, you know, you can do this two or three times if you want to. A couple of times is probably fine, but every time you do it, it's going to make your surface smoother and smoother. And then after the final sanding, um, then just let it dry well. Then you can move on to putting your poly or whatever protective finish you're going to put on there. Um, so I hope that answers your question. You can skip raising the grain 
or as this guy said, wet sanding. Um, but it will make a huge difference in the final feel of the surface if you raise the grain. All right, hope that helps. Next question is from Justin G from Facebook. Justin is, I can't, Justin, what are you? Are you, are you a, my second cousin? I, I can't, I'm terrible with that. Once we get beyond first cousin, I'm terrible. Anyway, Justin's in my family tree. <laughs> is in my family tree. Um, and anyway, I was thrilled when he sent this question. And actually, I will say, Justin, this was a great question. When I saw this, I, this was my favorite question of the day. And I knew immediately what my answer was. I didn't even have to think about it. Okay, Justin's, uh, he's on Facebook. Um, this is his question. Which wood finishing product and technique do you like the most and why? Okay, and like I said, I knew instantly what my answers were to these. This is a two-part question. Uh, my favorite wood finishing product and my favorite wood finishing technique. Okay, um, and there are, I mean, we have we have done a lot of stuff over the years uh, with wood finishing. So, I mean, we've tried and learned and enjoyed a lot of stuff, um, but... Anyway, my answers were were very, very obvious. When we started doing Apple Valley Farm, it's been almost six, wow, six years ago, um, then I fell in love with spar urethane. Um, and I've loved it ever since. I mean, I, I love it. I love it. I, I, I love it. I love the smell of it. I love the consistency of it. I love the way it affects a piece of wood. It is just, it's an incredible product. I, I just, I can't say enough positive things about it. But uh, if you misuse it, it can be problematic. Uh, and it does like low humidity and moderate temps. Um, so it can be very unforgiving um, when you're applying it incorrectly. Uh, also, you have to be very slow and patient with it because it can be prone to have air bubbles in it if you don't apply it very slowly. And it, it does change the look of whatever you you put it on. Um, but now I happen to like that. Um, back when we used to use almost nothing but heart pine, um, I figured out really quick that it would darken that wood quite a bit. But I like that um, because when you put the first coat on there, it's just soaking in and kind of prepping that wood for the next two or three coats, um, and it just darkens it. But I happen I happen to like it. Um, the look that it creates is just it's not like any other thing, and it's always it will always be my favorite. Always will. My my favorite technique though would have to be something called uh, Shosugi Ban. And I don't know if I'm saying that right. Shosugi Ban? Sh I don't know. That's the redneck way to say it, right? Wood burning. Uh, or the Japanese method of charring wood. Um, when I first heard about Shosugi Ban, um, I was watching an episode of Fixer Upper, and Chip, uh, what's his name? Get Chip Gaines, he was learning about it. And you know how Chip is. He was 
it was kind of fascinated with it. And I was fascinated with it because it was so illogical. Uh, I'd never heard of, of anything like that before. And the idea of sealing the wood by burning it, it seemed, it just didn't make sense. But it was so cool. Uh, and it works, though. You, you don't really burn the wood. You just char the surface, and it caramelizes those outer fibers, and it makes makes them less porous, which is what you want. Um, and it does it naturally. It's so cool. Um, and it takes a little getting used to. Uh, but once you figure out how the wood reacts to certain applications of the fire, it, then it's like any other tool. Um, you get used to it, and then you learn to to wield it um, more accurately the, uh, as you go. So uh, Shosugi Ban was really, really popular uh, a few years back, and it's not nearly as trendy as it used to be, but it is still quite popular. Um, and there's a certain segment of people who will always enjoy it. It never really goes quite out of style. It's just not as trendy as it used to be. But it's definitely my favorite technique. Um, and so I hope I get to keep doing that and uh, and using spartyurethane for a long, long time. That was a great question, Justin. Thank you. Thanks for asking that. That was good. Alrighty, our next question is from Cindy Beckwith from our YouTube channel. And actually, um, this is probably just in the issue of time. Cindy, this is going to be our last question. Um, Cindy says, do you put any kind of a sealer on your wood before or after painting your lettering? Now, so let me clarify something real quick here. Um, at Apple Valley Farm, in case you're not aware, uh, Apple Valley Farm is our woodworking business. And one of the things we do is a lot of is hand lettered signs and decor, stuff like that. Um, and then we post videos on our YouTube channel showing how we do the lettering, stuff like that. So Cindy's asking what we do after we do that lettering. Uh, after watching one of those videos. The short answer, Cindy, is no. Um, but when we do, then I don't do it before I paint. Um, I do it afterwards. And after everything dries, then I'll spray like a clear matte finish on it, something like that. Um, I used to get this stuff at um, Hobby Lobby. It was like four or five bucks a can. Uh, but later on, I found like this just cheap clear mat spray at Walmart for like half the price. And now if I do use it, which is rare, um, then I just use that. I will say I have never used this. I think they call it like a wood conditioner that you would put on a piece of wood before you letter it or paint on it. Um, and it basically just preps the wood so it doesn't absorb moisture as readily. Um, that might be more common on an older piece of wood. Um, and I will say this. So in case you don't know, the craft paint that most of us are using um, is a water-based, is usually a water-based paint. Uh, and the cheaper the paint, the, the more water content it's going to have in it. And that's why it's so cheap. 
But if you use that paint on an old piece of wood, you're going to notice right away the areas immediately surrounding your brush strokes. They're going to it's like they're going to get wet because they're going to soak that water out of the paint and it's going to those old fibers are just going to suck that water out as far as they can get it. Um, and so that's what happens. And I'm assuming that's what the wood conditioner would do as a, as a pre-application. Um, again, I've, I've never done that, but that's just what I assume. I've never done it because if I'm working with an old, really porous piece of wood, then I'm usually opting to use a better paint that has a much lower moisture content. But of course, that has its own challenges too. And I actually, I, I like using the cheap paint because it's easier for me to letter with uh, because it's much more fluid. Um, so anyway, it's a trade-off one way or the other. Um, and and I, I guess I should say this too, uh, as a side note, if you're going to be doing something with a sign that's going to be outdoors, I would suggest using a spray-on polyurethane, not just the matte finish, but a spray-on polyurethane, um, just something like a varathane. That's perfectly fine. <clears throat> but, and this is a big but, um, this only makes the sign weather-resistant, not weatherproof. Um, so it's good for, say, like hanging outside on your covered porch, but not out in the yard. If it's going to be out in the yard, then you need to take some, uh, some very different um, steps to make that not only the sign, but the artwork on the sign weatherproof. And that's something beyond the scope of this Q&A right now, but... Anyway, that's that's my take. <laughs> that's my take on that. Whew, okay. Man, all right. That was awesome. That was awesome. That's our first Q&A, man, in the books. That was awesome. I, I love it. That was cool. Uh, and that went by so fast. It always goes by fast, but um, I had a ball with that. I learned a lot. Uh, I hope you did, too. Um Man, I can't wait to do this again. We might do, we might plan to do a Q&A like once a month. I don't know. We'll, we'll just see, we'll see how many questions we get. You guys keep sending your stuff in and asking us stuff and let us know what you want to know. And um, I think we're going to make this a regular segment. This was a lot of fun. This is a lot of fun. All right, one last thing. If um, Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, hey, take a second. Leave us a great review. It makes such a difference for us, uh, especially if you're on Apple. If you're on Apple Podcasts, your review makes a, a a huge, like a double huge difference. So please, please leave us a great review. We would love it. Um, but wherever you're listening, uh, we would love it if you subscribe to the podcast, became a regular listener. Also, if you're watching us on YouTube then obviously we try to post a video of each podcast episode on our Apple Valley Farm YouTube channel. Apple Valley Farm is our woodworking business. Definitely like, comment, and subscribe to us there as well. Uh, and finally, if you'd like to learn even more about us, 
you can check out show notes and follow links and head over to our Apple Valley Farm website uh, at applevalleyfarmga.com for things like our store and our woodworking project projects and plans and things like that and a whole lot more. That, whoo, that is it. All right, guys, have a great day. And uh, I can't wait to do this again. Next week, we're going to pick up on setting up a small shop with our uh, series continuing again. I think we will. And um, I don't even know what the next episode is going to be. But uh, I hope to see you there. Hey, thanks a lot. And um, I'll see you next time right here on Everyday Woodworking.